But there's yeah. so much carbonation. It's still water. water. I suppose. Right? No, it's not. In fact, it's not it's still not water. It's not still water. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Raj Nation Innovations Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka the Raj Nation. I am your show's host. I'm also the founder of Raj Nation Innovation, a hip hop artist, and a yoga instructor. Above all else, I am a storyteller. And I am joined by my co host, Victoria Cohen. Victoria is the voice behind the blog almondsandasana.com. She's also a yoga instructor and a community activist focused on helping you make positive lifestyle choices that impact you and the people you serve. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. It's real talk with real people doing real big things to show you the real side of success. And in this episode, we are celebrating our 100th podcast episode. We have reached the century mark, ladies and gentlemen. Nearly two and a half years later, we've turned 100. And to help us ring in our next 100, we welcome onto the show RJ Pahura. RJ is the founder and CEO of Venture Connects a company that helps early-stage startups gain investment deals. He's also founder and CEO of the Fund Conference, the nation's largest deal flow conference connecting startups seeking investment with investors looking to invest. In our conversation, we talk about the idea of scaling. Specifically, how do you take that thing in your brain and make it bigger? So our question for today is how do you scale your knowledge? Before we dive into the conversation, I want to extend an invitation. If you are not a member already, join our tribe by going to www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Enter your email address there and you'll get an email in your inbox every single Monday when we release new episodes. You'll also get my stories and tips for telling your startup story throughout the week. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with RJ Pahura. How do you scale your knowledge? Let's listen in. Happy birthday on the 100th show, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I mean, we uh, at Venture Connects have gone through quite a bit of change this year. Um, we were in the securities business and recently got out of it. Uh, and as part of that... Can you um, actually just give backdrop on what that means, security yeah, business? Yeah, so we were actually uh, consummating early stage private placements, meaning we would get the companies ready to go out for their first round of funding, and we would actually take the deal out to sell for the company. So the entrepreneurs could focus on running their business. We would actually focus on fulfilling their full fundraise. Um, so a unf- brokerage relationship? A, a brokerage type, yes. Yeah. So. Um, we were uh, SEC and FINRA regulated. Um, it was a very interesting two-year path, but uh, this year we decided to make some changes to our business and actually get out of that. Um, we are still doing the investment advisory services, um, but we've decided to bake some of those things in along with uh, our annual conference, which you mentioned as well. 
Um, so the reason that this particular topic's on my mind is because this was a year of change for us. Um, it was uh, a year of cleansing in, in some ways, um, but uh, it was also uh, a time that gave us the opportunity to see what we were really good at and what we needed to improve for the future. Um, a lot of the things that we um, were doing, <clears throat> and a lot of the things, I, I think I'm not the only entrepreneur to say this, but um, uh, so many times these things are just in our heads, right? And they're not actual processes that we have down on paper. Um, I, I said this earlier before we started the podcast, but you know, what, what would happen if I was hit by a bus, right? Um, I, like everybody else in downtown Chicago, I look at my phone too much when I'm crossing the, 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 the road, right? Down Michigan. I've heard they um, want to make it a law, though. So, yeah, exactly. you get a I fine. Would, yeah. I would be in so much trouble, but it's probably a good idea. And, and, and through that, you know, process, that uh, this, this year, actually, it took my team to uh, really identify the fact that, you know, some of our processes were not as perfected as they could be. They were not down on paper. Um, and in that case that, you know, a founder goes on vacation or, or does get hit by a bus, uh, you know, God forbid. Um, what happens? How does the business go on? And that's where this whole process thing comes into play. Um, and also some delegation along the way as well. Um, so just in looking at our processes overall, um, we, we did just that. We put sort of a, 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 a really detailed plan in place to say, you know, if one of us goes on vacation or we're gone tomorrow, what is the process going to be for each individual um, in every single scope and aspect of how we do business, right? So that detailed everything from writing out job descriptions to um, ideal candidates to um, the process of engaging with a client from start to finish and something that, um, not to be a little intern, but um, something so, that, so easy that an intern could come in and figure this thing out right off the bat, right? So writing that down in that process um, has really helped streamline our business and allowed us to implement a lot more things um, in 2017 and, and the years to come. So you mentioned the hit by a bus thing. Now, sort of similar to that, you had earlier this year your own little like, health scare come up, so you had to step away for uh, you know at least probably a, a week or something. But if not fully stepping away, you had like days like where you had to leave early or yep. take a little bit of time off here and there. So can you talk through, like, was that the impetus to create the processes or was that already in place? So therefore, when you did have to take some time off, it was okay. Yeah, um, great question. Not too many people know about that, but uh, I did have a health scare this year, uh, a very like freak sort of autoimmune issue with my eye. Um, of all things, and you only have you know two of them, right? So um, you really need to make sure that it's taken care of. Um, it was uh, a very scary experience. Um, I actually lost vision at, at some at, at many points in my left eye. Um, so very scary situation. Um, it was resolved. I can now see, which is wonderful. But uh, as you Better mentioned, yeah, as you mentioned, I took a lot, um, a decent amount of time off as a result of that, in and out of the doctors, the optometrist's office, the hospital, all that good stuff. Um, but throughout that, I mean, you nailed it, right? Like you have to have those processes in place. We had actually started to put that in place um, before I had my my eye issue. Um, however, um, through that. It was just reinforcement that you know these processes really needed to be in down pat, right? Like 
making sure that, um, again, if, if I was gone a week or two or three at a time, um, that my team could you know, come in and, and delegate any other tasks that needed to be performed. Um, so it, it was definitely the start of it, Raj, but um, it, it definitely helped um, really concrete the fact that we needed processes from start to finish in our business. What I've noticed in my own business is, so from the outset of it, I was very much in the mindset of building a process in terms of the client deliverable. So all the startups that I work with, I take them through the same process. That's an outward facing process. And to be able to work with them, I had to create a sales process, right? And some of that is just like trial and error and understanding how to actually become better at doing your job of sales. But this also came from knowing my last business. It was a lot of, it was things written down, but in 18 different Google Docs mm -hmm. and not knowing necessarily what correlated to what or having a this is how everything works uh, mentality. And it was just my co-founder and I, so it wasn't the biggest detriment, but that also prevents it from ever expanding as well. Right? Um, what, one of the things that we did implement really well in that company was when we released our online course, we very quickly saw that our online sales, if we didn't have any sort of like personal touch with the people, it was really, like I think we only made like one sale that way. Versus if we had had some type of personal interaction with them, the sale was much more likely to happen. And on top of that, it allowed us to, so the way the online course world works, most of them, is you do like an open enrollment, but you set a deadline on it. And then you essentially use a scarcity tactic to get people to buy. And you say, oh, this closes midnight on Friday, last chance to get in. The next time we open this, we don't know when the next time we're going to open this will be, and the price will go up. And that's, you know, that's generally the advice given in that world, which I never felt too comfortable with, but did. And we actually, we did do that, right? It was like every two months, a new batch opened, or cohort opened, and we raised the price like 100 bucks. Uh, we were able to get up to like a $600 product, which is pretty cool. But we learned using that model if you do that, hey, like uh, this is going to close soon, what you actually have to do is you, you start selling like the week that you give it like a one week open window so people take action right then and there. But that meant we were only creating revenue in the last week of the month and couldn't guarantee what that revenue was going to be. So we had to create some type of process to bring ourselves revenue throughout the month. That's when we decided for like, you know, the second and third, I think we did four total, the second, third, and fourth cohorts, we created an application process. So you had to apply in order to be considered. And then from there, it was apply through a type form. We would contact you to schedule a phone call, do like a 20-minute interview, quote unquote, to see if you were a good fit for it. And make sure you understood the program. Actually, wouldn't even reveal the price until that call when we had a chance to explain the whole thing. And, that, and our conversion rates went up like crazy. 
uh, because they're generally more emotionally bought in by that point. And that was something that, because of that, I was able to take part of that to my sales process now, and it's not an application process now, but I do know that's gonna happen at some point because what I'm working on is reversing the funnel, getting people to seek my business out as opposed to it being you know, mainly outbound on my end, right? And really what, what I, I, I share that story for the reason that when you have a process you're relying on, you know where things are falling short. And we could see, okay, in that in the previous business, if we had this application, it was like, okay, if we can get 10 applicants in a week, that means probably seven of them will stick to their interviews and not, you know, not cancel. And you know, two or three of them will actually convert, you know, whatever the numbers were. And it, it gave us an actual grip over how can we manage the business, not just flying by the seat of our pants. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, a little bit of just, I don't know if you know, I, um, I studied engineering in school, um, specifically like operations research, systems, engineering. So I love processes and probably one of my favorite things that like I've ever been asked to do in interviews is like walk someone through like a supply chain. <laughs> I like love Can you walk us through a supply chain? <laughs> yeah, it'd be so interesting. <laughs> um, I like actually really enjoy like that process and explaining that and sometimes this is like so crazy but sometimes I like no I don't do this anymore because I don't work in that business anymore um, but I worked for Pepsi for like five years in supply chain and then in shopper marketing and I would literally like go through the processes like at night when I was falling asleep like it helped to like calm my mind <laughs> as weird as that is but I think what's interesting is that so I'm definitely a process person I have lots of like mini processes in my life for sure of like the way that I unload the dishwasher and what order I do things in and it's like I'm very regimented in that way. Um, but it's also really interesting because now I, so I teach yoga, um, but I also have a blog, Raj obviously mentioned, um, and a lot of what I do on my blog is cooking and recipes and I do not like following recipes. I actually dread, like after I make something that I'm going to put on my blog, I dread the part of having to like write it all out and say what the process was. So it's like this really interesting thing I'm discovering that I love processes in like almost every part of my life, except for this one part, which is kind of my like creative yeah. outlet, if you will. But now I'm trying to put it into like a process. And it's, it's so it's just an interesting kind of like dynamic that I'm not struggling with, but that I'm... Kind of working through at this point because a lot of people that want recipes or food ideas like they want to follow something you know so i kind of have to like reverse it back um but to to sort of piggyback off of a couple other things you said working at pepsi obviously a massive company that has tons of processes in place but i worked in a couple of functions that were like brand new businesses at the time that didn't have processes and that was part of my job and part of the team that I was on um, specifically for our coconut water business was literally like building out the supply chain uh, and creating those processes and it was a really interesting process process to create the process <laughs> and I really enjoyed it um, and I got to do it like through a number of iterations um, which was a great experience 
but we definitely ran into many issues where I think I, before this we were talking and I called it tribal knowledge. That's kind of what we called it at Pepsi when there was like one person that had been in a role for 20 years and that guy just, it was all in his head or all in his spreadsheets, mm. you know? So even in big companies, I think there's um, a need for scaling that kind of knowledge. Uh, you know, it doesn't just exist in small startups. I think it's applicable in so many different places, you know? Can you, I, that term tribal knowledge is yeah. interesting. Can you expand upon that more? Yeah. Um, so I think the idea is basically just that, again, people who've been in a role for a very long time, maybe they were even the one, it, for example, say the role that I was in. Um, so managing the uh, supply of our coconut water businesses. I was there from pretty much the beginning of when Pepsi started doing that, you know, for about four years. And I had a lot of knowledge kind of built up in my head and in my own documents and my own spreadsheets. And so when it was time for me to hand that role to someone else, luckily I am a process person and I had, I had put a lot of things in place, but there's sort of this possibility and well, not just possibility, that's reoccurring thing. I think mm. that happens at these companies where when someone's in a role for a long time, they don't necessarily they just do it. How they they, they just it. do it out of knowing how to do it, and not it's not even like it's not even things that require processes. It's more like they just know who the person is they need to go to for this, or who you know. It's those little tidbits of information that you don't think about putting in one document. Um, and so there was kind of a more of a push at the end of my time at Pepsi that when you were going to be exiting a role, that you had to have like a lot of documentation to be able to train and backfill the person behind you. And they had a whole process, you know, where if I got a new role at Pepsi, my old manager and my new manager, they worked together to figure out, all right, over the course of a month, you're one week on your new job or you're, you know, one day a week on your new job, four days a week on the old one. And you slowly progressed out of it so that you had time to hand off that knowledge and that information to the person mm. coming in behind you. So, I mean, obviously Pepsi is like, a massive company who has these things down. Um, but even they were sort of, you know, stumbling along in certain aspects. Well, yeah, and I think you kind of nailed it there. Like, it, it just in the transitioning process mm -hmm. um, and bringing someone else in, um, again, like a lot of this stuff, uh, even as founders or even at Pepsi, right? Like, it's in their heads. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I went to a point of taking the time. I'm, I'm, I am I'd like to think I'm a little more like big picture visionary. So um, when I get into the um, minutia of writing things down and uh, all the administrative operational stuff, so that's, a, that's I can do it. Um, it's just not like my it. favorite thing to do, right? Um, but I found what was extremely helpful um, and tedious and annoying to me uh, was was writing it down line by line, right? Mm -hmm. So like actually writing down the entire process as if I had to hand it to a newbie coming in tomorrow and say, here's the manual, here's the process, follow it, right? So if I gave them no more instruction, they at least had something to refer back to. Um, and even even most recently, like we um, were in the process of changing, you know, a vendor relationship, which changes our process, right? Um, and I just refer back to that piece of paper or that document, wherever it is. Um, again, wherever it is, right? Um, and 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 change that process. So, um, but it, it's it's really helped in just writing those little things down, so that if someone comes in tomorrow and has to take over, they can do that role no problem. 
So I actually think one other one other thing that I'll throw in here that was really helpful is so in my first year at Pepsi, they used to do this. They don't do it anymore. In supply chain, there was like a rotational program. And so the first six months I spent in a warehouse and a manufacturing facility. And the way that my manager at the time set it up was so that basically every month of those six months I spent I sat with someone in a totally different role, a different aspect of warehousing or manufacturing and like learned their job and exactly what they did. And what he tasked me with was sitting with them, learning what they do, and then basically writing down the process, helping them come up with more efficient ways to do it, and then actually taking that job over for about a week and doing it for them, which um, is basically exactly what we're talking about. And I, I think what really helped it's almost helpful to have someone who doesn't know what the job is at all sit with you when you're coming out with the writing the process down because that person can be like well wait what's the step between this and this because in your head you might already know that step you might not even think to write it down and that person's going to say wait that doesn't make sense what's Mm. you know what leads to the next thing or the jargon and the acronyms that come with it right exactly yeah all the little nuances that again you just know in your head you're like oh well i just hit shift f and then the whole report runs and you're like okay wait write that down because i won't just remember that i think even i have traditionally found whenever you have to document what you're doing to explain to someone else it also pressure tests whatever it is you're actually mm-hmm. doing because if you cannot explain it to someone else it's probably not as effective as it could be or should be and maybe what you have is more like maybe it's more concept than it is actual product or service mm-hmm. um, and to the intern point right like I always and I've had like one-ish interns in the past, which was was decent, but I I think I probably could have given better direction. But I do think hiring an intern, it's those kinds of things that force you to figure out how do you, how does someone else do this? Right. And that's, that literally is like how you unlock the scale is it's no longer happening because I'm an amazing person. It's happening because we've built an amazing process that anyone can pick up and run with. Right. With so with Fund Conference, you have a COO who's managing that. Yes. Okay. You're still CEO of the Fund Conference, but you don't manage the day to day. You manage more of the high level relationships, right? A lot, yeah. Um, you know, I, and and that's that 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 sort of leads me to the next point. I mean, it's like finding um, whether it's the intern or just anyone on your team, like sort of entrusting them, um, entrusting people with that process, right? Um, Jessica Powell on my team is uh, she's our COO. Um, she's like my right hand. Um, I think everybody that's ever worked with me probably knows that too. Um, and you know, throughout that. Um, just entrusting others with the process and entrusting others, you know, it's like whether it's an intern or um, in my case, you know, Jessica is our COO, you know, people want to do well. They want to come in and, you know, take the ball by the horns and make you proud, make themselves proud, right? Make their families proud. 
Um, so entrusting in others to um, progress your dream and your vision um, has also been really huge for us this year. Um, so you know, not not just Jessica. We've had we've had a few um, key people on our team this year. Terry Friel, who you also know, Raj. Um, has been a key um, person in just developing our strategy, our process, Maurice Vincent um, on our team as well. And, um, you know, just, just giving, um, one of the biggest things that I've learned this year is, um, is just that, like you can do it well as a founder, as a visionary. Um, you, you can be good at a lot of different things. It's really hard to be great at everything, right? And that's where bringing everybody else in who has those strong suits and entrusting them to do the best job. Um, obviously, uh, inspect what you expect. Um, but you know, again, people want to do well. They want um, they want that mutual success, and that's been a key part of our building and sort of scaling um, this year. Not only for you know fun conference, but also just our business in general. So, yeah. so that's and that's I think where I traditionally struggle with is. Being able to entrust other people with things that I know, like I can do really well myself. Now, Victoria for the podcast handles the social media, but I also know I'm not good at social media, so that was a natural um, delegation of the work. Because if I'm doing it, it's either not happening or it's it's just I don't know. It's like a tweet maybe, and that for me was easy. What gets harder is, as I think about growing my business now, is, well, I guess step one, like Victoria and I have talked about her uh, coming on in a larger capacity to help with some of the writing work for uh, our startups. But then even beyond that, I'm like, okay, could someone else go out and sell this and do, you know, be part of the team and do the sales process? Because I know what I've built right now is actually largely contingent on my own personality. And I'm okay with that, because I think, I think I'm more the type of person who enjoys certain freedoms to where if I'm not managing a large staff, I have those freedoms and I can you know, do a podcast at 9 a.m. and teach a yoga class two hours later, that kind of thing. But when I think about growing this, and it's like, okay, now the personality has to extend into other people as well, and. It, they're gonna go take startups through the same process. They've gotta know how to do it really well. How do you, I, I understand you have to entrust other people, but A, how do you actually get over your own ego and step away? And then B, not just entrust, but how do you empower them to make decisions without having to come to you? Yep. <clears throat> um, I mean, great question. I mean, I think uh, to start it out, it's like, Finding, finding people who have the traits that you want to get the job done, right? There's a book called Ready, Fire, Aim, which sounds backwards, right? Um, and, and the it's what, uh, Patrick Murphy, my mm -hmm. college entrepreneurship <laughs> professor, has been on the show yeah. a couple times. Yeah, that was always his his, uh, his line: Ready, yeah. Fire, right. Aim. And, I was say, we've talked about that. And that's that's sort of the same thing there, right? I mean, you're it's even even if you were to go out and hire an executive recruiter to find you know your dream person for whatever role. Um, they might come in and completely suck at, at the job, right? Um, so just finding someone who has those 
um, qualities that you're looking for, in your case, if it's a business development role, right? Um, even if they're newer to it, if you set the expectation ahead of time and let them, and, and maybe some KPIs and metrics for them to, and goals, if you will, to hit, um, and then sort of monitor it and coach them along the way, um, it's, it, it's, it's amazing how much people will surprise you. Um, it's amazing how much they will want to work towards that common goal, you know, of success, of social good, whatever the case um, may be. Um, entrusting in them, I, and I go back to this book, like Ready, Fire, Aim is, is just that. It's, um, it's, it's roll it out, monitor the progress, and then aim and figure it out later and really hone in on, you know, the, um, the stability and the the, the KPIs, the metrics of it, right? But if you don't um, try it, you'll never know. Um, so sort of letting that go and entrusting others. Um, you know, there's, there's a person on my team this, this year who's, who's really stepped up and um, one of the biggest things as entrepreneurs is, is asking for help. Um, so many times we don't even know when we should ask for help because again, we're like a jack of all trades just trying to do it all ourselves, right? And, and then it comes to that entrusting in others thing. Um, when someone offers to help or to take things off your plate, um, it was one of the biggest things that I realized this year. Instead of me saying, no thanks, I've got it, I said, mm. sure, let's give it a shot. If you don't mind, I would love it if you could help me with, you know, whatever, X, Y, Z. Um, and that became not a uh, not a super recurring thing but it became one of those things that you know it did take a couple hours off my plate and then it enabled us to even more so um, feel uh, joined at the hip as a team um, when others started taking over tasks um, so I think you know you sort of slowly entrust in others um, but you you gauge monitor and inspect it along the way um, but you know, you also hire and, and find people that are smarter than you to um, hopefully execute, you know, some of the visions that you have. Mm -hmm. I think another thing that comes along with this whole scaling of knowledge is not just processes, but history and key learning, right? Because another piece of, you know, that tribal knowledge that I was talking about before was that if someone's been in this role for 20 years working on whatever they've they've seen everything they've seen they've seen other people shuffle through other roles through marketing through innovation through sales who've come in with ideas that have worked or not worked and then you know someone else comes in and they have the same idea and it doesn't work whatever so i think the point being that when something doesn't work documenting that and like why it didn't work because when a whole new group of people come in and they're like oh this this thing could work. Well, someone's already thought of that and it didn't work, right? Like, so we don't, um, you know, we have history books for a reason, right? So that we don't repeat things that don't work. Ideally. But <laughs> ideally, yeah, <laughs> ideally. But I think that companies should have, or, you know, groups, organizations, like in a similar vein, sort of a history, history book, book, you know, of what we've done that worked or didn't work. Well, we already tried launching that product in that format 10 years ago and it didn't work for this reason. Okay, well, let's revisit because Maybe there's one reason it didn't work that's still relevant now. Maybe there's another reason the market's totally changed and so it would work now. 
right? I, I think that's huge. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's um, what you said. Yeah. You know, if I look back, I mean, we're six six plus years old now, right? And it's like if I look back at what we have today, like just our marketing guide or our partner guide, right? The, the hundreds of hours that we've put into it over, you know, the, the six plus year period and what it actually started with, you know, that history guide, right? Um, because if somebody walks in, there's no way in hell that this thing got to where it is today over a six year period. So we don't have like a history binder, if you will. And I don't think anyone um, does. But <laughs> I'm just I mean, it's, it's huge. Like, like we, we do have Dropbox folders and things to show like, you know, V1, V2, V3. Well, you're being green. That's fine. Right. right. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's a very big thing because you can show how you've progressed over the years. Um, you know, especially if you go to these companies that are generations old, right, you'll, you'll be able to see they might even have like an archive of uh, their first radio and what's, what it's become today. Um, so just an example, but mm -hmm. I, I like that idea. It's, it's a great idea. Let's pause 60 seconds for this public service announcement for you startup founders out there listening. The Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast is brought to you by Raj Nation Innovation. If you are not familiar yet with Raj Nation Innovation, let me tell you real quick. I talk to founders pretty much every day who flat out tell me, Raj, we suck at telling our story. Well, my job is to remove the suck. With Raj Nation Innovation, I blend a unique background in both branding and songwriting because, as I'm sure you know if you've been listening to this show, I am also a hip-hop artist, and so I look at business communication through the lens of entertainment and performance. And with that approach, I partner with growth-focused startups to help them develop their pitch, their story, and their message so they can go raise investor capital and acquire their early customers. Companies like FanFood, Keo, Jiffy Rides, Muses, and more have all gone through my signature brand communication playbook and come out on the other side winning pitch competitions, raising seed funding, and being masters of telling their story. Holler at me at www.rajnationinnovation.com. That's R-A-J nationinnovation.com. Back now to the show. I think, too, even in like the startup world, in terms of raising money from investors, one of the things I always tell the companies who work with me is we've got to figure out a way to articulate that you have a strategy and a plan around your growth. And it's not just, it's not as simple as year one, 10K revenue, year two, 100K revenue, year three, million dollars revenue. There has to be order behind that. It can't just be numbers thrown out there. And I always say like, when an investor is looking, like when they put money in something, what they're inherently doing is seeing opportunity over risk. And the, the money they, the companies they put money into are the companies where they feel their risk is mitigated, as, as, as little risk as possible. So what can you do to mitigate risk, or help someone uh, mitigate risk is can you, get, can you show them a plan? Can you show them a process for how you're going to get there? Because if we can see a plan, mm -hmm. then like, people will buy into plans, right? As opposed to pie in the sky. Yeah, it's going to work. Just trust me, right? Although that is how we got our current president. <laughs> trust me, <laughs> so, trust me. I so know ast the most. <laughs> asterisk on that one. But in general, I can say more so in business, you know, and, and this is also why the companies that work with me, I take them through a very specific process every time. Same with the Venture Connects companies, right? They go through a specific process is because 
you have something, A, that's repeatable that you can show the next person. Here's what we did with these 10. We're going to do that for you too. And now you've alleviated, you've created more comfort in the other person's mind. Because if they can see a history of success or a history of improvements because of the same thing repeated over again, now they know, well, I'm not diving in so fresh, am I? This is a seasoned thing. So, and then same thing with the investors. Obviously, it's projections for what you're going to do in the next five and 10 years and how you're going to grow. But if you can tie a bow around that and actually show, here's the plan we, you know, we're, we think we're going to follow. Now you've inherently shown that you're building a company around a roadmap, not around an idea. Right. And I think there's sort of a post aspect of that as well. So not only being able to show someone, and I'm thinking from the last role I had at Pepsi in uh, shopper marketing capacity, so not necessarily in supply chain, there was this huge push for post-program analysis. So at the end of every program, going back, and, you know, and, we, and we had a process for this, right? So it was like, you know, what was the program? Where was it run? Was there digital? Was there, you know, what were all the elements that went into it? How much did we spend? And then what was the sales lift? Were there any other factors? You know, reaching out to people in sales and, you know, maybe it didn't go so well in this one category or in this, you know, one region of the country, but that's because some other fact, some other thing was going on. And, oh, well, now it's good to know next year if that other promotion is going on at the same time, it didn't work well. So just sort of the the not only the forward-looking process, but also the going back and saying, okay, how did this one isolated scenario work out? And then how can we, you know, use that as the template going forward to sort of tweak the process and say, if we know this or that, here's where we make adjustments. Well, and two things from that. One, it's it's not just saying you're going to do the analysis, the post-mortem, but actually following through on it. And then even with that not just defaulting back to you know, past behavior the next time around, right, actually right. implementing it. As well, it is a matter of, well, now I lost my train of thought. Damn. <laughs> if you want to step in. I, I mean, yeah, I've it. got, I mean, my thought on it is like 10 plus years ago, I don't even know how many business plans I've written, right? Like it was a part of college. It was a part of Kauffman Foundation had a thing called the Fast Track Program. Um, which was a CD-ROM, believe it or not. For those of you who do not who remember what a CD-ROM is, uh, it was bef- it was that thing before USB drives, before um, zip disks, before zip disks, <laughs> and uh, you could you know that's that's where you housed and started and manipulated your business plan, and the business plan got you thinking for um, everything about the future of your company, right? And I still recommend for these early stage founders that don't yet have things rolling to go through that process. Um, you know, back in the day, they were 80 to 120 pages, and, and this was like the norm, right? This is what you took to the bank, to the SBA, to investors before they were called angels per se. Um, and today it's different. Um, but it, it at least sets the tone that you've thought about these processes or these potential ways of doing business. Now, you know, in our case, I'm actually going through this right now with fund, we're putting together an investment prospectus, which shows sort of our past history and then our future growth as well. So it's like a quasi type business plan forecast pro forma, also 
showing the history of the company, how we got to where we were, documenting that, documented where we changed, not necessarily pivoted, but what, what changed over the years. I mean, we're going down all the way to the level of detail of saying, you know, what were ticket buying habits like? What were the days like that were our peak? And what did we do on those days to make those, make those uh, numbers go up, right? Um, so I think it's good just in general um, for either first-time founders or even for seasoned business uh, folks out there. Um, even, even going through the process of just putting it down on paper and re revamping it and seeing where you're at to see if you can do it better um, is, is hugely valuable. I know just going through it personally right now, it's a, it's a big topic uh, for us as well. Okay, I remembered what I was going to say. It's because of what you said. So in that post-analysis, Victoria, you talked about, which RJ, you're doing right now, one of the things you mentioned was part of what we're doing is looking at past years, observing and analyzing buying patterns. The operative word, operative word there is patterns. Because without this stuff, you know, this analysis, you can lead yourself to believe that something that was an isolated occurrence is an automatic indication of future success. And I, you know, I always like to think in, in terms of revenue, but you know, one of my key learnings out of my last business idea lemon was, you know, let's say we got pulled in to speak at a company somewhere who paid us, and that was like, that was. Uh, $3,000 bump in February. What we were doing was being like, oh, okay, so in March we'll do 6,000 because we did, but no, like, <laughs> unless we had a funnel that we're getting, we know we're going to talk to more companies, we can't just say that because we had a spike then, or like you'll see, I think in a lot of cases, a startup or any type of company will do a Groupon deal and their sales will explode that month. But that doesn't mean your sales are going to stay at that month for the rest of the year. It means people got a coupon and you sold your service for less than you normally do, your margins were lower, you got more volume that, that month, but it's not, like people aren't buying Groupons for the rest of the year, and they're not automatically funneling to your business because they saw you on Groupon once four months ago. So that's the, the, that's the key, is it's, it's recognizing patterns and distinguishing between patterns over, uh, what would you call it, patterns over events or... Yeah. or Isolated, yeah, isolated incidents. incidents or occurrences, incidents, incidents. incidents. <laughs> um, one other thing I want to, RJ, get your opinion on is how do you know? So, in this process of delegation in creating process in, in creating processes, how do you be honest with yourself about when something's not working? So you started uh, this conversation by talking about shutting down the private placement of the securities business. I guess, how do you swallow your own ego to say, hey, that didn't work for us. We got to shut it down and move on to something else. Oh. <laughs> uh, that, could be, that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think um, as... I, I would I, I don't know if I'd call myself a I'm not a serial entrepreneur I'm a, I, I think I'm a little more seasoned now at this point um, I think from my perspective it was kind of like the writings on the wall um, 
and you know it was one of those things that I continued to we can we set goals um, and then we measured them and every month we were not hitting them um, every quarter we weren't hitting them every every semi-annually semi annually right and I gave it um, probably uh, at least six to 12 months longer than I should have <clears throat> should have um, from my sort of optimism that we just hadn't given it long enough mm. um, but you know the writing's on the wall right and um, I think it's just it's it also goes with just relationships like if, if you start to feel you have that gut check as an entrepreneur um, and whether it's uh, you know ceasing one part of your business or pivoting or um, you know closing shop whatever the case may be um, I think you have to trust your gut and your best nature to know, you know, if, if this is not working, it's time to change, right? Like you hear it all the time, life's too short and it is. Um, and that's how I personally was able to overcome and get through that and know that, you know, we needed to make some serious changes in our business um, when we did close the private placement side. Um, and you know it was a it was a team decision too i mean it was not just me um while the writing was on the wall our team knew what was going on i pulled our team in and said you know let's have a strategy session if we're going to do this and then you know i mean we, we we coordinated this thing to a t when we shut down our the, the the private placement side the securities business as a whole um we targeted around press releases so we knew okay on x date we're going to shut it down uh, on Y date, we're going to communicate to vendors. On you know this date, we're then going to uh, put out a formal press release. Um, we're going to do this much marketing for a period of 15 days. We'll put out another press release, and then in another 30 days, we'll come back reevaluate it. Um, but even more so, you know, not only all of that communication and, and letting the public know and the people you do business with, but it was also you know what's next and. Um, that's I think what also helps get you through, right? Is knowing that it's not the end. Your gut check might have told you to do one thing and, and change one area of your big your business. <clears throat> but when we brought our team in and our team said, All right, what are we really good at? What's at our core? And how can we move forward, you know, without the securities private placement business? Um, the SEC and FINRA is a pain in the ass to deal with in the first place. <laughs> um, I can say that now, um, but um, <clears throat> you know, and, and, and that's where we also came together as a team to really focus in on what we were good at, put those processes in place, entrust in the people, and move forward. I know that was a long answer to your question, but um, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. So the communication aspect of it is also vital. I would say. Yep. Yeah. You know, I have a six-year-old boy, and like I, I, I feel like one day writing a book about um, how startups relate to or early stage companies that is relate to raising a child like you have to nurture this thing grow it over communicate um <laughs> you know uh accept uh um uh, things that go wrong um you know accept the oh, oh shit moments and also uh accept the the wonderful things that come with it so and be okay um, with constantly being asked why. And be okay with constantly. <laughs> and, you know, are we there yet, right? Um, so it's, it's things like that. But, uh, yeah. Nice. All right. So let's transition then and just kind of learn a little bit more about Venture Connect and the Fund Conference. So uh, we'll start with Venture Connects. Uh, at surface level, 
it's a company built around supporting startups. Um, I also support startups with my company, but tell our listeners why it's about more than just you know, generic support. Yeah, so the companies we work with, uh, actually, um, I, you know, for those that don't know, um, our average founder is in their 40s. So um, we're not dealing with a lot of the early stage startups per se. Um, the companies that we work with, I call early stage growth companies. Um, so they're usually companies that have been around for a couple of years. The founders have put in, you know, a de- decent amount of cash. They've grown it to a uh, certain point of their business. Uh, a monthly recurring revenue typically will engage with somebody who has anywhere from a ten thousand to thirty thousand dollar a month monthly recurring revenue MRR. Um, and you know they're looking to go for their first round of funding. So we bring them in. We only engage with about four to five companies per quarter. Um, and really get them ready for going out for the first outside private placement. Um, you know, so many times these founders that we're dealing with are incredibly intelligent, um, genius software architects. You know, I've worked with people that have IQs higher than Einstein, like no joke. Um, but getting that guy to tell his story to an investor and why they should invest, I know you're on the storytelling side, but there's the diligence side and preparing them what to go into the conversation with. That's really what, what Venture Connects is about. It's more than just preparing their deck, their pro forma, their one pagers. Um, it's having the conversations, it's a mock pitch. It's you know really getting them ready to go out for their first round of funding. Yeah. Um, that's, that's why you know, Venture Connects exists as a company. We're not a co-working space. We're not an incubator, an accelerator. We're um, you know, a professional, um, firm that helps these early stage companies. I don't think I've ever heard the story behind how you started this in the first place. Can you share that? Yeah. Um, so I had, I've been a part of, um, I, I would call it six startups that I would maybe talk about um, and uh, some others that uh, I would call learning experiences. Um, and, you know, through that process, so this was like before like the, all these incubators and accelerators in town specifically were, were out there. And I saw an opportunity to really help early stage companies focus on not just their pitch, but again, just going to market to get the angel and VC investments. Um, So Venture Connects actually started over six years ago as an online platform connecting entrepreneurs with investors and service providers. So the people they do business with, the potential investors that they could could receive, um, and from the investor side, it was great too because they were looking at some vetted deal flow. Um, so, you know, through that process, um, I would say we were fortunate to start that when we did, because the market is saturated at this point, like there's everybody that's trying to do different forms of what we do. Um, and we were fortunate enough to, to really get in early, you know, six plus years ago. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but um, uh, in, in, in doing so, you know, I'd raised a lot of capital myself and just said, you know, there's got to be a better way to help others do this. And, um, and that's, that's how VC was born. Um, you know, and then not Victoria Cohen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, the and, uh, well, some fun. Do you want me to tell me about that? Yeah. Let's, so, so fund conference, um, you know, people could look at it and say, ah, it's just another conference. Yeah. Uh, I was part of it this year. I can speak otherwise. Wow. Why would you say it's, it's not just another conference? Yeah, so another one of those deals that um, we, we started um, and first year, you know, had over 900 people um, attend it. And we just had no idea. It was, it was, it, we started it more as like a lead gen type opportunity. We had you know, a very large list of entrepreneurs and investors that we had built over our, 
over the course of you know our tenure with VC and said, what the hell, we'll throw this conference and see what happens, right? Um, put a lot of work into it. Um, we had one, every year we have 100 pre-screened early stage companies. You notice I didn't say startup per se. <laughs> um, they're early stage companies, in, we're industry agnostic, so we'll have everything from you know tech to um, retail to, uh, we even had some store storefronts, uh, brick and mortar, and a lot of physical products this year. Um, but it's a, it's a thought leadership conference. So we have a content portion, um, which as you know, being the MC, we had 64 speakers this year um, in Chicago, right off Michigan Avenue, venue 610. Um, but we also had 100 pre-screened companies on display. There were 25 states that came in to Chicago. So we're not just getting the Chicago land investors. We're getting people from outside of Chicago to come in. And what's a cooler city than our own to come into, right? Um, so it's a content conference, it's a deal makers conference um, specifically for these early stage companies and, and we're providing that platform. You know, can we guarantee funding by attending the conference? Absolutely not. But we are facilitating the platform for these early stage companies and these early stage investors to hopefully meet and you know, eventually consummate a deal. And that's what makes this different. Um, I've, I've, we've gone into this, uh, and that's why I said, you know, we're in our planning mode right now. We're actually taking it into other cities, um, looking at some more underserved markets with maximum opportunity. Um, so our next expansion city is Austin um, for the spring of 2018. And uh, that's a, um, a, a huge part of my focus right mm -hmm. now um, is to continuing to ex expand, you know, what we've built over the last three plus years with this and uh, continue to scale it throughout the country so that everybody can have a part of it. Awesome. And I will say, having attended, emceed, and keynoted it, uh, pretty cool consortium of people that come together. And I think the biggest takeaway everyone's saying coming out of it is the connections they made, which I think is what you want out of a conference. Yep. So let's wrap up then and come back to our main topic We'll go one by one to give our answer to the question based on what we've discussed today. We'll start with Victoria, and RJ, we'll close with you. Victoria, the topic today was how do you scale your knowledge? So I think one of the, I mean, I think we covered off on a lot of things today of kind of how to do it, but I think one of the best experiences I've had in terms of scaling knowledge, either my own to someone else or someone else to me, is that process of, it's really hard to not use the word process <laughs> when you're describing this, of um, sitting down and going through that person's job or their, their current process for whatever they do and kind of asking the questions step by step, what's next, what's next, what's next. So whether or not that's, you know, you're doing that just on your own or you're having someone else who doesn't already know your process come in and do that. I think it's the the questioning and then the just documenting of it. Mm -hmm. My answer, how do you scale your knowledge? I'll, I'll give from my perspective, which is starting to consider how can I expand what my service offering is. Uh, and I think it's, it's very in line with your answer, Victoria, but I think just simply it's have processes, document pro your processes, and then recognize patterns in your processes. RJ, how do you scale your knowledge? Um, 
first of all, I learned some stuff from Victoria. I would, I would advise doing that, uh, having someone else writing those processes down. But, uh, you know, I, I think writing it down to a T, putting something on paper, um, one other thing, and you know, it's, for what it's worth, anyone who has a background in corporate, you mentioned yours was at Pepsi. I had a background in corporate too at Verizon many years ago. Um, taking that corporate structure policy process that you've learned and that they've beat into your head over the years, how else can you incorporate that into your early stage company? Um, whether it's bringing somebody in to you know, sort of shadow you and write that process down um, or, or, or what, right? If it's just taking the time to actually do it. So writing it down, putting it somewhere that it's, uh, it's a living, breathing document that you can edit it along the way. Um, and secondly, um, making sure that you have other people to offload that process and to continue your vision and dream um, so that the, they can, you can delegate it and they can do it to the best of their abilities so that you can um, ready, fire, aim. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, there's a reason why companies that are big have those processes and policies right. <laughs> and they would crumble if they did not. Right. RJ Pahura, thank you for being Thanks, guys. our 100th guest. Thank you. <laughs> Happy birthday. Congrats. Yeah. That wrapped up our conversation with RJ Pahura. RJ, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your insight, your knowledge, your story with our audience. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show, therefore more people get to discover their inner awesomes. While you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe on whatever platform it is you listen, whether that is iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, or the various other platforms in which we exist. For full show notes, references, and resources in this episode, as well as RJ's contact information, grab it at discoveryourinnerawesome.com. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you for being part of our first hundred. Here's to looking ahead to our next hundred. Thank you again to RJ Pahura for joining us. For Victoria Cohen, I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. My baby's sweet. I mean, she's sweeter than all outdoors. Love and I'm I want you and I need you Won't you come and see me, I want you